but um, I guess that can bring us in perfectly into the system talk where um, we can pick apart and dissect parts we like and don't like. You know, um, it really grinds my gears. No. Perfect. Yes, <laughs> let's steal it. That that movie's old enough that no one remembers what it's from. <laughs> um, overall, uh, of the new players, Alex, I, I, I you know what? You can say yours, too. I'm not going to make any assumptions. Um, in my, how, how do you guys feel pros versus con wise about this system? I would say overall pros definitely outweigh the cons, but I've got, I've got a, a list of talking points on each side. Yeah. I'd give this like a solid B plus a minus system for sure. Like definitely the pros outweigh the cons. Yeah. I think I, I would agree with that too. Uh, it's, I do have some things that I feel like could need improvement and it definitely like a lot of it. I feel like at least I guess playing uh, pre-made characters, which I always have problems with pre-made characters anyway. Always. Me too. Yeah, like, that's... it's just, it's hard to role play those because like, if you haven't come up with everything on it, it's it's just really hard. Yeah, that is actually, I think what's what this first bit is going to devolve into a lot of. Is, I'm super interested in seeing the character creation process because we haven't looked into any of that. But like, like you said, without knowing, and with this, uh, there's only like what are they alex powers and talents qualities, qualities? there's yep, like four or status. five of each yep so like i was i used range combat and cold like 95 percent of my roles were range combat and cold or cool under pressure which is it feels like like min maxing a character and then like only rolling to hit in D D. like i have a plus <laughs> five strength and that's what i'm going to do and i mean Having said that, there's, you know, the same argument for D&D, but I feel like at least running the pre-made characters, you're like pushed into that direction of like, find the thing you're very good at. Well, between that and my other thing is that like the scene tracker, it just such a tight noose that I'm just like, if I do anything suboptimally, I'm fucking over the entire adventure. So like I would go for my highest skill roles and bend over whatever way narratively I needed to to make the role make sense. I think I, I think I actually like the scene tracker. To be honest, I, I think I like. Sorry, I just muted you. I was trying to clear my throat, and I can't unmute you. I need you to unmute yourself. I'm a monster. Wow. All right, go ahead. Uh, hey. But just because I disagree with you, Kyle, you don't have to mute me. No, I hey. um I definitely <laughs> actually as I thought about it too, the scene tracker makes sense to me to in put stakes into a superhero combat based game yeah because like having having a little more stakes to it and like because a lot of times i feel like you would like the since a lot of the the storytelling is having to make those overcomes and stuff being able to just do that at whatever time would just take too much away from it i think it would make the overcomes useless kind of um it would just be like okay clear the board and do this overcome and if you fail it Oh well, do it again. Um, so, like the scene tracker, it makes sense to me for the way the system plays. I just wish in and uh, no uh, flack at you, Alex, because these are you know pre-written adventures and stuff. That like um, the proletariat one made sense. There's this thing about to go supernova in the basement. The Akash, Akash flora tree makes sense because these bots are like chewing the part of the tree. And like you get the sense of the impending doom if you don't act in time. 
I just kind of wish they had tied it more closely to the scene tracker or um, made it feel less like a board game and more like a, a something in the scene is making doom hasten to borrow from Baron Blade. Yeah, you get, you get what I'm saying there? Uh, I completely get what you're saying. There. Okay. <laughs> um, as you notice in the very first issue, in the very first scene, when you am- are ambushed by the spider bots, there is no scene tracker. The scene ends when all of the heroes have successfully beaten the spiders. Oh, yeah. And then when they do, Argent Adept calls in and says, hey, we need to get to the tree. Then scene two begins. And I introduce to the players, because I guess it would have been too much uh for new players at first the scene tracker and it makes sense narratively in that scene because there Mm -hmm. are a bunch of uh spider harvesters cutting apart the tree um in the second issue like it still makes sense because visionary is holding the portal um Mm, yep yep yep. and if the scene tracker runs out something bad happens with the portal and she loses her concentration in the second scene it starts to get a little wobbly because you don't know what the threat is but the scene tracker is still there and so while it's written into the rules of what happens if the scene tracker runs out i can only sprinkle in bits but when you're in a weird abstract dimension that's sort of hard to translate like if i (laughs) say the ground starts shaking you guys might be like well either the apocalypse is starting or like that's just how this realm goes that's how it do (laughs) (laughs) and then for other scenes it gets it's it's sort of hand wavy the same way like in the um in the tomb of anubis one uh, that's the first time you guys encountered the extended scene tracker where it's like 15 rounds long or whatever. But like, I only can drop hints as to what's going to happen when you're in that tomb. Like I say, you hear grinding and you hear whirring, but you guys don't know what the threat is. So that kind of interrupts the whole flow of the dungeon crawl, mm-hmm. which this is supposed to evoke. And so it's like you guys are against the scene tracker, but you don't know what it is you're really looking for. Like, you don't even know what your objective is. You don't know why this tomb is here. Right thing that's happened and you you get this vacant from visionary that there's a weird energy source coming from here and so and then you get to the second scene which is weird because like once again you don't know why there's a scene tracker and also why does it reset itself when it ticked down a bunch in the first scene yeah and then you get to the end and then basically what happens is is if the scene tracker runs out in either scene um uh, misinformation just basically caves in the whole tomb and the heroes are trapped there and the adventure ends wow. so you don't know the stakes and also the stakes are kind of boring because like yeah, it not. could just turn into a thing where the adventure heroes just wander around and nothing happens interesting okay I, so I, yeah i think what i do to fix that is just make it one scene make the whole adventure just one scene and just make an even bigger scene tracker and not worry so much about the details because the heroes will see just how big the scene tracker is so they'll see like there's like eight green rounds or something like that and they'll be like we have plenty of time to wander around so it'll evoke that dungeon crawl but then as things go on like when the walls start shaking and stuff and clues start coming out like there's robots and stuff like I might introduce earlier on that there's like cameras watching you or you see wires connecting to bombs or something and so you guys will be like oh fuck like this isn't a real tomb this is just a trap and someone's gonna blow our asses up and it's just fucking with us we gotta get out of here that's interesting I Um, like I like the idea of um like kind of like how the first act was laid out like a discovery phase where the tracker is not even concern a concern of the players yet uh and so like you have time to kind of piece together some things because like that's how i like every time we started a new scene i'm like okay fuck it it's time to it's we gotta get to business 
which like <laughs> kills role playing for at least for the character I was playing. Like if I was Wraith, I could have spun that more into like let's get shit done and figure this shit out. But like I like the idea of some time in the beginning where it's like you can breathe, you can play your character, you can get comfortable with the setting. And then a kind of as as you were explaining that Alex, I was picturing like um like you said longer scenes uh for each probably phase but then also i think it'd be neat if you just hid each different color so like once they got through the discovery you're like okay cool we've in the green and like move it from behind your screen into like you can see you have five turns in the green you don't know how long the yellow or red's going to be after that but you know the clock's ticking and then the narrative things go along that's a good idea it seems neat um, I, I definitely think it's it's not so bad that I wouldn't uh, like to revisit the system ever. Right. right. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of right there what you had said where it was like as far as like the 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 counter system where it was like, you know, we'd start to progress and it was like you felt like there was just like urgency in the beginning. So where you're like, oh, maybe I could have had a narrative with this character. Or I could have like tried this weird obscure thing to get to the final goal it's like i don't want to because i've got you know eight more ticks or whatever it might be mm. and then we're in the red zone and it's you know it's a doomsday oh my god so many times when you were pulling your tachyon bullshit i had to mute myself and bite my tongue to be like just fucking do the thing we need done zach and I'm like no no no, he's doing it good he's being entertaining god damn it let him let him make fucking water skis out of that dinosaur's bones it's chill that's, that's right. just good he can he can breathe in this space better than i can so let him do it yeah and with the proletariat adventure like the scene tracker makes sense because mm -hmm. nuclear radiation however if you guys noticed there's eight rounds in the first scene and then eight rounds in the second scene and when you get to the second scene regardless of where the first round is it resets back at the green why does it reset back at the green <laughs> i don't know why does the radiation just suddenly cool down for a minute i don't know so that's another adventure where i would consider extending the scene into just one scene mm. and just having a really long scene tracker it works much better in ones like Insula Primalis. Um, well, actually, that one's sort of weird too. Because yeah, okay. what once was again, going wrong in Insula Primalis? Once again, you don't know the stakes. It's it's weird. I kind of wish they built it differently. In the first scene, the scene tracker represents Tempest's health. If you guys don't distract uh -huh. the dinosaur enough, it's going to keep biting Tempest, and then Tempest can potentially be knocked out of the fight, and then you don't have Tempest on your side for the rest the, of the adventure. Uh, but the scene tracker continues to go down even after we've stopped letting Tempest take damage? Well, the scene tracker, if the scene tracker stops, that basically means Tempest has been knocked out. If, 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 if you can defeat the dinosaur before then, then... That just represents you guys having saved Tempest before time runs out. The second time is where I get the sort of frustration vagary where it's with Haka. If the scene tracker runs out, Haka basically, once again, knocks Tempest out and then flees the scene. And then now you guys like won't, may not have Tempest or Haka on your side for the last issue. And it's just all sort of, it becomes kind of like video gamey at that point where it's sort of like running like a Mass Effect conversation instead of feeling like a natural conversation. It feels mm. like you're doing like a fourth edition D&D skill challenge. And so while I like it conceptually, it's just really hard to translate that well into a game system without just having a normal conversation. Mm. 
and then the last scene works better because the island's getting cranky and stuff and you might get blasted off of the island or whatever and then it works especially best in the last one which is weird because in the first scene there's a there's supposed to be a scene tracker but as like i assume some sort of screw up there isn't a scene tracker for the first scene even though there are mentions of the scene tracker for it so i just use the standard scene tracker Hmm. and it makes sense because the tree's there and then the second one kind of makes sense once again you don't really know the threat you're just trying to get to the base basically what happens is if the scene tracker runs out in the second scene um uh regardless of your intent baron blade is prepared for you and then his minions get bonuses for the next scene so the uh, so the direct approach is basically pretend you failed the stealthy approach it's like pretend you failed the stealthy approach but because it takes less time you're gonna spend less time running into the random shit that i throw at you and so the stealthy approach is good if you actually want to sneak up on baron blade but it's bad if you don't want to run into you know dolphins and laser sharks and robo squids and whirlpools i as much shit as i threw at you guys in that second scene i threw way more at my other group because they took the stealthy approach interesting and then the final scene makes sense because the doomsday device but Mm -hmm. i feel like there was a weird discrepancy there because we took a break between sessions where i feel like you guys may have kind of forgotten there was a doomsday device and so i kind of had to reintroduce the doomsday device even though it was like halfway through this epic brawl where being mentioned yeah so i had to kind of reintroduce that real quick like if they don't stop this bear blades a probably going to get away and also b triggered the doomsday device which sucks all of the energy out of the akash flora tree basically leaving megalopolis a husk for a good long time until they can restore power and then he has a bunch of void energy that he'll use for who knows what in some later story Hmm. yeah um how much does the do the uh pre-written adventures give you for the scene tracker because it sounds like you actually have a a fairly substantial bit of writing around each of them like how many rounds is that what you mean no like um like words dedicated to like what happens with them is it like a paragraph for each one like narratively what goes along with it or do they just give you like fail conditions yeah for the good ones there's a paragraph's worth there are some where they just don't have any and that's frustrating it's fa- yeah, it's few is. and far between but for the proletariat adventure for example in that first scene i don't remember anything about what happens if the scene tracker runs out like i just huh. don't like i don't know what to do if the scene tracker runs out in that first scene so but i just that, roll with it hmm. from a gm perspective that kind of sounds like more fun than uh, i had previously thought like to like craft a scene and then put conditions or things to go along with it that huh that kind of sounds fun i might make a one shot one of these sometime that we should play sometime yeah i actually for my dnd campaign i finished back in 2020 i was inspired by the way they use scene trackers in this for the last adventure where i had the the bbeg at the end working on a ritual that would essentially end the world and so when the heroes get there and kick open the door to stop this guy they only have and i put the scene tracker out eight rounds to do it and so immediately things get tense because they're like looking at all their abilities they're like we can't fuck around like Mm -hmm. if i dump all my good spells now that might be a bad idea because i don't know what he has in store how bad things will get so they're like carefully trying to figure out what they're going to use and like it's just one room it was a one room fight so it's not like it's not like they have to run through a whole dungeon first right it doesn't it it shoves that dungeon crawl mindset right out of the brain see i think that's the better way to do it is a mix of the systems to to you have the scene tracker to really drive home like hey you've been having fun up till now and you've been handling yourselves damage wise but now 
shit's about to hit the fan. You're going to have to fucking tighten the belt and get this done. That's very cool. Um, yeah, no, that's awesome too. And that's, I like that so much positive came out of the negative I I saw in the scene tracker. Uh, I dig it. I think it's a good idea to incorporate that into D and D and other role-playing systems like that. Um, a pro that I thought of as we were playing too, that you kind of mentioned a little bit with Insula Primalis and then it came up, um, in the end of it, when I went full Boromir, full Boromir, I didn't actually intend to go full Boromir, but Boromir is one of my childhood heroes for whatever reason. And I realized that I was doing it and then shit got real heavy once that scene track ended. But, uh, I think this system is uniquely nice at handling at least the way we were playing it with we had like hex grid maps or even just representations of the rooms up in front of us with splitting the party it's it's a lot more viable i feel like in this than it is in say D, where some of my favorite times that um hasn't killed people off has also been splitting the party like the time we alluded to in our other uh dnd campaign not on a podcast where you were breaking in and ended up in three separate groups that all fought in toward this dwarven fort. Like it's a lot more, it feels like a lot more mental gymnastics go into it for DMing a split party in D and D as opposed to in this system, I guess. I don't know if it's probably because of the, how the initiative works more. Does that make sense to you, Alex? Yeah, it makes sense to me because splitting the group was always a headache, like in D&D and stuff. But I feel like it works better, like in your case, where we had three strike teams going up against that fortress, because even if we're all in three different groups, we're still on the same map. So we're not very right. far from each other. That's so true. We have, yep. we have a better time influencing other, each other. But can you imagine trying to do like a full scale Phantom Menace type of battle where there's four different scenes going on at once? Not without like, three oh, different God. DMs. But if we had three <laughs> DMs and four scenes, I'd be all fucking game for that. Right. And so I feel like a good place to take inspiration from is like board games where you actually have that going on. But then if you're trying to do that in an RPG, you have to figure out, okay, so what do we have to condense? Because RPGs are more built for skirmish. Like, I really like the way you handled mass battles in like your fourth edition campaign. um, Where I was playing Crunch and Dustin was the the part that that you remember that. Well, mass battles were like my whole thing man i love that shit i mean it was good because like you'd set objectives for us and then whether or not we completed them like there was sort of a timer going on in the background and then like when the timer went off you know the backup army shows up the cavalry shows up and the fight just ends right it's just it's nice when big battles in D are way more fun if they're actually a backdrop because i've run adventures yep. where heroes have been with an army fighting another army out on a battlefield and it's just a boring fucking slog watching someone make an attack and say oh i downed that guy i have great cleave and then make another attack and they're like oh killed that guy great cleave and it's just you don't want to be the infantry in D. it's it's fucking boring you want to be the guy riding a dragon up top getting from objective to objective doing that stuff yeah well, having said that i plan on a very similar to the thing you just described uh main battle or climactic battle in our main session we've been doing for the last few years now but I'm hoping to incorporate some, and maybe we can talk about it in the podcast, depending on how well or poorly it goes, some um, tabletop wargaming mechanics into the infantry roles. And Mm. instead of like me being the DM of the infantry roles, potentially giving you guys charge of the allied units that you've forged along the way and having you be able to control them on the battlefield. And then also your characters are the heroes riding their 
spoils of war into where it really matters in the battlefield. So it'll be interesting. Maybe maybe we'll see how that goes and talk about it later. But I'm hopeful. I have a in the in my Pathfinder campaign that I'm in. We uh, we have a actually what I think is really cool. Uh, I think my DM actually homeruled it, but like it's the way that they play armies. So like you can have like a group of like 200 soldiers that you're fighting into. And like the way they do it is like they auto hit basically. And they're just rolling their damage dice since it's a certain amount of people. If you're fighting like 40 to hundred people, obviously they're just going to do damage to you. But like they also have just set health and like different spells and stuff type of spells will do more damage and stuff like that. And I don't know, that might be a, might be a thing to look at yeah yeah definitely because i was also there's a lot of cool pathfinder either home resources or anything like that because i was also um flirting with the idea of either for a podcast season which it might it might be a boring podcast season we probably wouldn't do it there but i really like the idea of resource management and um a kind of either mini arc or something that goes along with that but i know a lot of people hate it so I had the idea of like making a caravan like you are like small business owners and your whole job is escorting a caravan from city to city and buying and selling and making profit while also being adventurers along the way. And I found a bunch of cool Pathfinder caravan <laughs> rules that are pretty much one for one, a lot of a, a jumping off point for what I'm looking for. So that sounds Aaron, perfect you're, for a rogue trader. Uh, that's also actually funnily <laughs> enough, I was originally thinking of uh, doing it through warhammer fantasy ah. the caravan through that because the the setting is so dense with yeah chaos that it, it'd be pretty perfect but um yeah that's definitely on the menu still and also aaron you're the resident pathfinder expert you know, <laughs> in the lightest to... way possible <laughs> <laughs> i would i would uh i <laughs> if uh the only thing I, if we ever wanted to try a Pathfinder thing, I would suggest seeing if uh, my, the DM, DM that I have currently would want to do it. I mean, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, he, he might actually. So said, we're all, I'm, I'm all for making this as big or as little as we want it to be. And that's one of the ones that I'd definitely be interested in trying out. I have Pathfinder core rule, but we got all kinds types of systems, but we've got at least the, the next season already plotted out for the podcast, which we'll talk a little bit more about. Mm-hmm. in a little bit but um was there any other system things that anybody wanted to comment on alex you're probably the most intimately familiar with this system what um what you, you got some reflections like okay so like system specific not like campaign or narrative specific you mean uh do you have more ca- campaign and narrative shit to dump on us because <laughs> i mean i do i just want to save it for the right point Dump, yeah, dump your campaign and narrative stuff on us. Oh, well, uh, I oh, I guess I'll start with. I mostly started with mechanics, like with the scene tracker. Like I'm, mm. I'm a big fan of the minion and lieutenant system. It's just so damn smooth and so easy to roll with. Yeah, you don't I do have to really worry like it. about anything. It, um, I don't know that it came across very clear to the podcast listeners. So if you kind of just want to give like a brief summary oh, yeah. of what that is. So minions in the game. So like things like spider bots or dudes with handguns or whatever, they're represented by a die and it's as little as D6 to as high as D12. But uh, whenever they attack, they roll that die. Whenever they defend, they roll that die. Um, but when they defend, regardless... Okay, so when they defend, if they fail, they're just out. You just take them out. If they succeed, you still damage them. So they degrade a die category. So if they started at a D8, they go down to a D6. 
I do um, love that. So clean, so simple. It's so smooth. You can literally, it, you don't have to write anything down for them. You just put their die next to them to keep track of their status. That's mm, yeah, chef eat, kiss. Yeah, the only way they differentiate them besides name is just by giving them like a special ability that's unique to each monster. So like the spiders get like a, a plus two on hinder checks when they use their webs and oh, nice. Like uh, the the spider bot, I think also got a plus two on hinders, but also has like a spawn egg special ability where it can just make more spider bots. So each minion new lieutenant had a unique thing they could do, but that was all represented by their die. But yeah, and lieutenants work the same way, uh, except for if they succeed on a defense roll, they don't degrade a die category. And if they fail, instead of being out, they just degrade. And so you actually have to hit a lieutenant multiple times until you get them down to a D4. I or or there's actually a massive damage rule where if you deal double the amount of damage their die represents, you knock them out immediately. So the max. Yep. Yeah, so if they have a D8 left and you do 16 points, regardless of what they roll, they're just out. They don't degrade to a D6. That's cool. Yeah. So oh, that's I, neat. And they didn't have that in the starter kit. That's something I read up in the core rule books. I'm like, I, I like that a lot. Cause I, that was a concern of mine. What if I was like, what if you point the super laser at them that's in the scene and you deal a hundred points of damage to a <laughs> lieutenant, fry the villain that only has 70 hit points, but hit a lieutenant. Does the lieutenant die too? Or does the lieutenant just lose rules as written? And so, yeah, <laughs> the, good, sure enough, they put in a massive nice. damage. Oh, that's cool. And then villains work almost like heroes do. Like they have hit points, they have uh, qualities and powers and status. Their status sometimes can reflect what's in the scene, but sometimes their status is unique to the villain. Like in Baron Blade's case, he doesn't react to the scene. Instead, he reacts to how many inventions he has in the room, whether they're boosts he's given himself or Hmm. minions or lieutenants. And so the more inventions he has in the room with him, the higher his status die is. And the lower it is, the lower the status die. Interesting. And then there's, there's, I think he was a solo villain, technically, he would be called in this, but in the RPG, there's actually regular villains, which are a lot like heroes, and then there are solo villains, which are basically just like heroes the same, but they tend to have slightly higher dice and slightly higher hit points, kind of evoking what they do in the card game. Neat. No, that's super cool. I, I only saw it from, you know, the player's perspective, this run around, but from what I saw of the system, it seemed like an awesome clean system which i love that you don't have so many things to juggle and just like the bookkeeping was felt a lot less strained on the uh, game master or you're just that fucking good alex i don't know it helps the system was that clean like minions <laughs> lieutenants since that's basically all you fought like you didn't fight an actual villain till the end and when you guys fought heroes i just sort of sort of made up the rules where i was just like eh, and they have yeah. yeah they have this many hit points in the card game and then tom moko is kind of like legacy's fortitude so i guess haka has this much dr depending on the scene and i guess she's this strong so i'll give her a d10 or d12 so like i was just making it up for that part but i feel like it translated okay where absolute zero never got like completely butchered during that fight but at the same time you couldn't really knock Haka down because that's basically like fighting legacy at that. Yeah, point. I mean it, that felt great too because I don't know how much health they had left, but I had like seven. But that really means anywhere between like eight and eighteen for me. Like I, I, that felt good. I felt like we were two heroes just slugging each other out for <laughs> stupid reasons, and it was translated perfectly in my head to yeah what, what I expected. So. Yeah, I, I would say overall, I'm super impressed with the system. I super enjoy it. And I think 
Um, I haven't messed with it myself, but I feel like it'd be a pretty easy system to like home rule fixes in or like what we were talking about with the scene tracker to just tweak it as you see fit. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of stuff to just fix as you see fit just because the system is just that loosey goosey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, as we were talking about, like you guys were talking about hit points, that was one thing at first where I was like, man, I'm going to complain about this. This sucks. <laughs> He's almost killing me every episode. But then like, as it went on, I was like, no, this is like the perfect balance because if, you know, we're not just these overpowered superheroes that are going to, you know, you're going to come out max health every issue. It, like it was always coming down to the nitty gritty. And like at first I was like, man, this fucking sucks. Alex is so mean. He's making this <laughs> super hard for us. Like, man, though, I don't get how like how you'd get through this. But it was like, no, this is just a well-balanced game. There's parts where like probably going to die. And there's parts where like, you know what? I think I'm doing all right. And then Alex would bring us back to God where he's like, no, you're not doing all right. <laughs> it's interesting so. that you say that, though, too, because another thing that I you just uh, prompted me to remember there is that, like, it feels like there's some damage inconsistencies with how it's dealt out. Like we can and I don't know if it's just it feels like it's a like you were saying an attempt at urgency. But when you're like just take seven nine or 12 random damage from some backhand from a minion i'm like what that's one third of my health why don't i just have five hit points if you're dealing that much at a time is there i don't know if i thought about that too where it was like yeah you'd get hit by something you're like that took me down how much and not oh i'm in the yellow already we're like we're like you know two markers in or whatever uh yeah i was kind of curious about that too and then like how much damage we were dealing to them and i like that like the whole actual numbers because i couldn't really narrow it down too much that was also i was interested about that and like that actual economy yeah it's weird right because you guys see it you know when you roll your dice pool you roll three dice and then typically if you're in the green zone you're probably going to use your mid die or your min die there's some exceptions like in legacies where he attacks with mid die but then heals everybody with min but then there's like that exception, right? Where you guys have to be in the yellow zone or something like that to mm-hmm. heal from his motivational charge. And then you'll notice on average, when you roll your dice pool in the yellow die, you're probably going to use your mid die and your min die, or sometimes your mid die and your max die. And then you'll see in your red zone, if you roll your dice pool, you're probably using every single one of your dice for something. And uh, that sort of compensates in the same way for like the villain or whatever even though you guys didn't, you only fought one villain in this campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, But I use the environment dice pool a lot. Um, And so I feel like sometimes that does get wonky, right? Because it's just just swinging, basically. Yeah. And it's weird, right? Because you roll a dice pool and you're not like, you're not like always picking the max die. Sometimes you're picking the min die, but sometimes that min die is high as fuck. Right. And it's just weird because D and D seems like the game for swinginess, right? I mean, you're rolling a fucking D 20 for God's sake. Yeah. Yes. There's going to be swing. And so I was just sort of, it's weird to play a game like this that seems to go out of its way to create less swinginess by having you uh, have a dice pool and then pick the mid die most of the time out of all of it. But the swing is still there. 
And so sometimes I get anxious because like I notice in the first issue, the toughest minion is a D6 and the toughest lieutenant is a D10, but the mothership, which is a D10, doesn't ever attack. Like it doesn't have any attacking capabilities. It can only make more spider bots. So the most you're going to take from an attack is like six points of damage. Mm. And the spider bots are designed so that even if there's three of them on you, you're not supposed to attack with all of them. You're supposed to have one attack, one hinder, and one boost. Right. Um, and so, and, the, and that, they actually have that written into the adventure. They're like, please, please don't have all <laughs> you, spider bots make a damage roll on somebody because the, wipe them. the issue will be over <laughs> in like four rounds. And that's not very fun. And that's, they're trying to get the, evoke the feeling that you're being swarmed without having you go like full evil Gygax DM and just right. have all the goblins target one hero and then just neutralize <laughs> them. You know, if there's three, if there's nine spider bots in one scene because there's three heroes and they all jump on one hero and all do <laughs> 96 points of damage like it will be over so fast and so it's it's weird right like the swinginess is kind of an issue because like at the end you know not only do you have to fight fucking baron blade but then there's his blade battalion soldiers which are tough as fuck even though they're minions they're d10 minions and if they attack you they roll d10 but if they try to if they try to hinder you they actually get 2d10 and take the highest and then if you're already hindered and then attack you they once again take 2d they roll 2d10 and take the highest and so there's some like scary as hell minions out there and I don't know. And, it, and it's not, it doesn't start at the end. Like, I feel like it kind of starts in issue two when you fight the void crystal in the two spheres, because this void crystal is like the toughest thing you fought yet. It's got a D12. Mm. And even though it doesn't make attacks, it can still hinder. And it always defends at a D12. So you better roll high as hell because I have this giant oh, swing that I can do. Like, I might get a one on my defense roll, but I might get a 12. And it's frustrating when, like, the highest you can get is a seven or an eight in a given scene. Yeah, that's super interesting. And you're, you're right, because that's one of my biggest complaints of D&D is that, like, the D20 system is potentially so swingy that it's just interesting to see a different system still be so swingy, but it's very interesting. It's very, very neat. Yeah. I don't know how to address the swinginess of the I game don't. quite yet. Yeah. That's except unless just fucking ripping the system out and replacing everything with a D6 or a D8, but that's, uh, huh. That's interesting. Uh, check into that more and see because that's one of my quests when looking at other game systems is how to feel more consistent and less swingy Mm -hmm. and um that's i feel like the system that i i don't really remember anymore it's been so long since i played it that that i feel like addressed it the best to my memory is iron claw which i plan to revisit on the podcast eventually but i need to reread that have you ever played iron claw I have not. Ooh, it's fun. Anthropomorphic. I won't get into it now because we're running along. But um, no, it, it, I feel like it addresses the swinginess and it, it uses the same dice, D4 to D12 as this, but you kind of build. So as you get more skilled in something, like the most you can be skilled in is a D12 initially, but then you can rank up again. Then you have a D4, D12 in that. And so if you rank it up again, you have a D12, D6. So you'll roll both of those dice and then take the higher of the two. So if you, it kind of insulates you against whiffing or, well, the bad guys against spiking as you take the higher or lower as it goes. And I think a lot more rolls are contested in that rather than just environmental, but <laughs> super interesting. Was there any other system chat we had on this? Any more, any 
gripes or praises left unsung? The only gripe I have, and it's <laughs> it's really something that you really shouldn't even really you know bitch about, in my opinion, especially as a player. Lay it on me, baby. Is... Our, our game master, I know. My God, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. the worst. No, but <laughs> so there. I can't remember if it was. It was one of our like last sessions. I can't remember which. It was like one, two, or three. Like one of the last ones. But it was where absolute zero went down, and then there was like a special thing and i can't remember where it's called and this is gonna like really kind of hinder what i'm talking about but he was able to do this thing that kind of brought him back and i don't remember what it was called alex if you could fill my gap the deck Uh, or whatever was it hit the deck oh yeah 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 i think it was that's probably what you're thinking it's probably hit the deck because that gave him like a super high defense rating right yeah it was legacy not not absolutely oh zero. wasn't oh i thought yeah. It, okay yeah okay so then legacy did it and then i did it like very soon after and i was like well this seems broken i feel like one of us should have died here <laughs> but yeah i yeah, think was... i i think uh, uh i was actually doing that wrong i think mechanically i was doing it right except for the last part where i believe your defense rating isn't actually temporary hit points it's actually just a damage buffer it's it's essentially damage reduction against the next that attack, attack that hits you oh okay yeah. gotcha so that my shield isn't sense. as good either <laughs> i was bending some rules because i kept forgetting to look up rules <laughs> while we ran this and almost entirely <laughs> forgot about hit the deck in the first place i know it only came up once but i was like huh this seems pretty freaking <laughs> awesome for the players <laughs> totally all right so, um, are we ever going to revisit the Sentinel system on the, on the podcast? If if you guys are up for it, I'm up for it. I'm also would, up for it, but I'm on, also sorry. Okay, sorry. I, I say on the condition that we make characters for it, I'm up for it. Yeah, me too. Awesome. I was also going to say either making characters or picking different heroes. Oh nice. yeah. I'm ready yeah. to customize this shit. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm I'm you guys talked a lot about pre-gens and like it was easy for me playing these pre-gens because I'm one way too into superhero media. So when <laughs> I see a trope, I immediately like connect with it. And also because I played the card game for a while. And so like when I play legacy, I'm like, okay, there's a bunch of web civilians in that tree. I guess I better go save them or something <laughs> like that. Like it just it's apparent to me and also a gripe with the campaign give legacy more stuff to do have more webbed people for fuck's sake that was a little bit yeah there was like i could never figure out when to do my principles because like like okay save someone in immediate danger and it's like okay well there's not many people in immediate danger other than the heroes but like are they really in danger i mean they're superheroes so that's the thing like uh when we played with unity in my other campaign she has principle of the gearhead so she's good at building stuff and then she has principle of levity so she's good at lightening a situation where things get rough you want to oh, know man. which one she i should have played one she unity for the whole campaign <laughs> yeah so well and the other one the other principle for legacy was uh, uh com- attempting something that like someone younger than you attempted i was like that's such a strange one <laughs> It's but so like I, I understand. I know I understand. Probably there's some some lore aspect of why he's doing that because since Legacy is kind of older in that sense. But like, when is that going to come up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mechanically, when are you going to use it? Yeah, I'm surprised Kyle used Principle of Dependence 
dependence as much as he did in this campaign. I thought that would never come up to be honest. I mean, I, I, I I'm, I'm one to like to um, flex a narrative to serve my needs. So <laughs> that's uh, a lot of what I was doing there, but I was content as long as you were giving me the, okay, like, yeah, you can depend on your suit to pilot this ship for you. I'm like, all right, cool. Then that's my principle right there, baby. I do my... want to, I would do want to rebuttal a little bit, just kind of what Alex was saying that, or not rebuttal what Alex was saying, but rebuttal what Kyle and Aaron were saying and be with Alex. But having pre-made characters, I was actually a fan of as well. And I think that comes from like doing a newer system. I mm-hmm. like kind of like putting me in a in a box so I can kind of start to wrap my head around it. And almost what like Alex was saying too, as far as like, you know, some of these are kind of, you know, loosely based off of like other superheroes. So I was like, really mm-hmm. like, I want to be like the flash, but a girl techie, way more techie flash. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I don't have anything inherently against pre pre gens. I really, uh, like you said too, really appreciate their value. And likely in this podcast, we're going to be seeing a lot of pre gens because we are, bashing our heads into new systems and we're going to be doing a, a relatively breakneck pace for most tabletop gamers i think true true, true. <laughs> so um yeah hopefully we can pad it out a bit better and give people time to mull over pre-gens in the future yeah if i oh go ahead or are you done i think i was done oh, okay um, but yeah, I'd love to see what you guys come up with character-wise, because the thing you were complaining about, like not really knowing the mechanics of your character at first, it's like I imagine like playing D and D, it's so much easier, right? When you have a concept first and you know mm-hmm. the rules, so you can build that build. So, like if your abilities don't work, it's probably because you're getting nerfed by something else in the encounter, or um, that's just something you're not very good at, or the dice are against you. It has nothing to do with your build because you built your character just fine. And it would be awesome to see you guys bring like a superhero concept to the table and then flesh that out using the rules so you already know your mechanics in and out and see how that flavors your character. Yeah, I'm super eager to even get my eyes on character creation in the rule book to see what all it's like. Yeah, I really have a hard time wrapping my mind around how exactly it would pan out, but I think it'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> we, don't have to, we don't have time to get into that one, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> Unfortunately. But um, so I'm all for revisiting Sentinel sometime down the line, but we've got new systems to tackle. So um, proposal. Oh. I think each oh, time this we wasn't play, rehearsed, folks. I know exactly. <laughs> We're fucking ad libbing here, baby. <laughs> But no, I think each time we either approve, we'll go back towards the system or disapprove. We should have some type of like approved. Oh, yeah. You know, like, yeah, we need like a stamp of some some sort. I like that. We can give them a a recommendation (laughs) bump or uh, maybe skip this for a different one. Yeah. Ooh, I like it. Okay, so let's um, go back in time and rewind for D&D. What do we think about D&D, folks? Should people who want to get into role-playing games play D&D? I vote yes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the easiest one to get into. Of course. yes. All right. We just had to have it in the... So we could reference an episode when people ask. And um, what about Sentinels? Does Sentinels meet the standard of D&D? Does it deserve a spot on your bookshelf? If you want to play a superhero, is this one of the better ways to do it? I think yes. I agree. I also think I, yes. I I think yeah, but I, I would say you would definitely need someone that uh has probably played it before 
that's true. really get into it or is it at least familiar with the sentinels universe or do you yeah probably yeah with the sentinel yeah, the, universe the, the, the lore of yeah <laughs> that was oh. that was the gripe i never brought up and i'm not i'm not going to go into too much detail because i feel like you're trying to wrap up but do it no i'm from, totally fine we can from, i can cut chop and screw okay from the beginning oblivion's presence is there and if you're trying to do a role-playing game and tie it with your card game and you keep referring to this apocalyptic event without really letting people know how the world's growing it's just like weird because i'm just like oblivion happened you're like all right so you're in a city and it's been attacked and you're repairing <laughs> the city and so now you gotta fight these spider bots okay that's a superhero trope oh shit this guy other superhero is over at this other part saying we need help so you go over there and you go help and there's a huge fucking tree there that's not a superhero trope why yeah. is it so tied in with sentinel's lore like this like from the beginning the first issue of their starter kit it is like deep cut after deep cut issue proletariat issue what's an oblivion shard i don't know hit the ground running that's true as, especially as a starter set <laughs> yeah and that Baron is kind Blade, of bad the villain that's is true the, the villain died in the last campaign what we just started this campaign what the hell are you talking we're supposed to pretend we don't know that, this guy yeah and that's also a bad art because baron blade is so quintessential to all of us because we you know played sentinels and he's the, basically the first villain you play against so everybody is like oh cool baron blade but then you're like Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Before that, though, um, he became a good guy and died in the bad guy fight that happened that you were recovering from, and now he's maybe back. Like, wow, yeah. <laughs> there's lots of whiplash from A yeah. to B to C to D to where we are, which is apparently E, but we're in the starter set still. What happened? <laughs> Issue two: You gotta go help Visionary at her spooky house. Oh man, there's weird demons, and she's holding the portal open. All right, cool magic superhero D and D tropes. <laughs> Okay, she's like, you got to get in there and stop what's going on. What do we do? I don't know, but you got to stop it. Where is it? It's the void. What's the void? We don't have time to explain that. Get in there. And then you're in there and you're in the void and it's entrenched in Sentinel's lore. But uh, what's the void? I guess you'll find out when you're in there. <laughs> you leave the void. Do you still know what? Do you now know what the void is? Not really. So um, this starter arc that you ran, is that in its own self-contained box or does that come with the rule book? It comes with a rule book. Oh, so this is the adventure in the rule book. Yeah, there's, well, no, it's not in the core book. Uh, okay. There was a starter kit that came out in 2018 that is weirdly out of print now, but might go back into print soon with some revised rules. So maybe this podcast was bad timing. Sure. But um, sure. yeah, it was, it was just a starter Almost kit. Almost definitely bad timing. <laughs> <laughs> it had six issues that are meant to be run as a campaign. It had six heroes and it had a rule book. And that was pretty much it. Okay. So does the core rulebook, do you know, or you have the core rulebook, does it have adventures written in it? It has two adventures in it that are have, unrelated to each yeah. other. Have you eyeballed them? Do they seem like better jumping off points? Um, I would say there's one that is definitely a better jumping off point. It's just a weird one because it revolves around a pre-gen character who isn't one of the Freedom Five. It revolves specifically around them. So it would be super fun as a one-shot with those pre-gens. It, it would be good to run at a convention or something is what okay. I'm saying. And, and then, Or even just an introduction to the mechanics. And then you'd be like, cool, wasn't that cool? Let's make our own characters and do our own art now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then so there's... the recommendation is skip the starter set that's currently no longer in print. <laughs> this is a hot take you won't get anywhere else. Don't buy the thing that's out of print. Buy the thing that's in print and play it that way. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you could still get it online, though, as a PDF. It's mm, just out okay. of literal print. It's still okay. accessible. I got you. Okay. Okay, so that actually is a decent recommendation then. 
Check out the core book. It's a good system. It's also, you know, it's the starter kit. And they in, in the RPG, you're supposed to make up your own character. And so since they have you playing characters from the card game, that's obviously deliberate. Yeah, that's true. Tie it in. Make it try to invoke the stakes that way. That makes I just, sense. I just wish it weren't super entrenched in Oblivion, which is the final expansion to a card game they'd been running since 2011. It's like saying, hey, we're going to do a campaign setting based on Magic the Gathering, but we're going to make it totally... Uh, yeah, Nicol Bolas has destroyed the universe you're fighting for, but you're <laughs> recovering from it. Yep, here's like five novels worth of lore, <laughs> and you've never played D&D or Magic the Gathering before. Here's the starter kit, and you're just yeah. like... <laughs> You look at the back of your character sheet, like in the Sentinel starter, and it's got like four paragraphs of information. You're just like, holy Jesus. <laughs> like, I love it because I'm entrenched in this lore. Right. And... and I'm all for an exposition dump. And like, I love that, like, oh, here's a pre-joint character and three pages of background that you should know to role play that character appropriately. I can eat that shit up all day. But I understand that not everybody wants to do that. You yeah. Float your own ideas, play your own character. Yeah. I understand that, like, like, most starter kits like even like lost mine of fandelver like it's pretty easy you're some guys you hired to go protect a a cart or whatever and then it gets ambushed by goblins and there's very little lore in the whole thing you get mm -hmm. involved in some local bandits and some local monsters and some local caves you're not protecting a giant tree you're not traveling to different dimensions <laughs> you don't have to hear about oblivion for every issue otherwise the exposition and the adventures uh setting wouldn't make any sense and so like it's a super fun starter kit but i understand like the inaccessibility lore wise like i All get right. it it's, I, was... I get it it's a comic and just like comics when they get rebooted are even when they reboot themselves people like old issues a lot so they end up re-canonizing things that aren't canon anymore and so mm. batman has decades worth of baggage attached to him <laughs> and so that makes him both that makes him accessible at the movies but then you try to pick up his comics and it's just dense as fuck it's like you're reading dante's inferno or something yeah, I think I, well that one doesn't count as much that's yeah <laughs> that's only 70 percent accurate it's really more accepted that this is canonically what happened and if you're trying right. to catch up on the story you're going to just skip over these 35 issues and then read two and then skip the next one and then you're back on track yeah yeah i get the nerdiness of the lore like it's fun but at the same time it's like high red level risk of 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 scaring away the noobs yeah oh i dig it i i i'm happy to hear your critique too alex i was worried that it would be us beating up on sentinels and you defending it so i'm, I'm happy that first off our criticisms we pretty much rolled into a a, a positive by the end of it and that you're uh not not holding back any blows i like i like the sentinel setting i i really like the game mechanics for both this and the card game um they're very neat very fun very neat uh scratches that superhero itch and in, in a, a pretty satisfying way anyone else have any uh conclusions on sentinels before we introduce the next arc well uh, i think yeah summed it up pretty well i just like I like the fact that even though you are a superhero, it felt balanced enough to where it's just not you're this overpowering beast, which is my, it's like fun, you know, being a player, but at the same time, it like really takes away when you're just so overpowered that everything just, you know, all right, that happens. All right, that happens. To that point, and Alex, you pointing out that we were in the Silver Age of Comics really helped a couple of times when Sand was my enemy or um, 
barrels or whatever other minor thing you <laughs> ran into snakes yeah it was that's the one it was snakes like uh, aren't we fucking superheroes like yeah i walked best. through the room of snakes <laughs> that's something i would not change at all like <laughs> yes i'm definitely gonna throw more snakes at you guys in future but just <laughs> the whole and sheer hilarity when yeah when you pointed out like hey i'm being campy stop being so fucking serious i'm like oh, okay I okay, I get it. I'll I'll pick up on it. I was in the wrong headset. All right, let's do this. Let's be afraid of these snakes. Let's be stuck in this. Be sand. afraid of the you might think the game's serious sometimes because the game has villains like spite in it. But if you ever play actually okay, if you ever play the Sentinels of Freedom video game, or if you ever buy the core rule book and just flip through it into the villain section, there is a villain in this that will just immediately like pull the rug out from underneath you and make you question like is this whole thing just a huge parody of superheroes or is this just like the parody section of an otherwise typical superhero section and it's like well maybe we'll never know maybe yes to both all you have to do is see the villain's name and look at his face and you'll be like what the fuck are you serious <laughs> like that's what i said when i encountered him the first time in sentence like this is the villain the whole time are you fucking kidding me like i want to be angry and sad but i just can't because this is genuinely hilarious that's great that's the that's the best way to take it too you gotta roll with it understand the the joy of the system that it's not all grim and shit i dig it i love it try it out sometimes folk but now i guess um moving forward perhaps some uh, would say surfing on sur surfing on switching out our surfboard for a fucking hoverboard oh um, hey. silver say, surfboard to uh, a silver. cyber surfboard. oh shit yes from silver silver to cyber damn that's good alex um Perhaps more appropriately timed because I guess there's like a cyberpunk series coming out on Ooh. something, Amazon, or yeah, they're doing a live action cyberpunk thing. We huh. are going to be dipping our toes in cyberpunk red, which is the newest cyberpunk role playing system that's not new anymore. Uh, a few years ago, it came out, and I'll be um, taking the reins of Game Master once more. We'll be um, running through. The initial adventure is going to be the um, pre-made adventure from the back of the book, but it's really only a, a single encounter, or a, I guess it could probably end up being a couple episodes. It's um, depending on how quickly or slowly y'all go through these encounters. There's some social, so it might slow to a crawl. I'm joking. You guys are great. <laughs> <laughs> but then I planned a little arc um, to solve a mystery in Night City afterwards so that should fill out um probably about as long as the sentinels arc went of some actual home written adventure which is new to the podcast and hopefully won't be a cause for ridicule but um next next week podcast we'll be creating our characters together um so we're not running pre-gens uh, they have uh, multiple different ways of generating stats for characters here this is and it's really cool because the the cyberpunk is like the first role-playing game i actually like sat down and made a character in and it was it's the older style like you can get down uh, granular and crunchy and like you have this amount of points to spend among this many skills and it costs this much to go above this and they can't 
be below this point or above this point and all that jazz was how the original one is. And they've maintained that as an option in this edition. So there's three different character creation options that like, it basically is like, you want to do quick and dirty or slightly involved, or do you want to get knee deep in the shit and really customize your character exactly? So we're probably going to be flirting with the first two, either the quick and easy, or if you want to get a little bit more granular, we can tweak it there. But it's to the point where you can literally just roll dice. If you're like, I don't really know. I want to be, see what my character was born with. And if it suits what I've chosen for their talents. Um, so we'll play with that the next session. And um, my plan is to go into character background for each of the characters because they have flow charts for each um, individual character. And then for your character class, that will hopefully flesh out some stakes between the players and some of the NPCs that will be present in the adventure and roll off into the next system. Beautiful. Fucking rad. Kicking um, rad. We're going to be all the same, same cast, right? You're all down for this? <laughs> yeah, dog. Someone say no and just throw Kyle. Done with this. In other words, yes, of course. Fuck yeah, dude. I would if I, if I were dropping from the podcast, I'd let would let you know way ahead of time. Unless, like, <laughs> I had a horrible accident, and I'm like, Kyle, someone burned my face off in a bar fight, and I can't do the podcast anymore. You better not be talking it to me because you're talking it to me. That means you can fucking podcast. <laughs> Set up that mic in the hospital bed. You don't need a face, face for a podcast. <laughs> in fact, that's why we're doing it. My face would never pass. No, check out our YouTube channel that I haven't made yet, but um, I'll pull that. Don't worry. Unless we make a YouTube channel in the next week. Um, yeah, yeah can, thanks for listening, make everybody. YouTube channel. I mean, yeah, and we could populate it with stuff, right? I I'll get a camera and just, some cookbooks. Let's go. Let's do the cooking ones first. Is that we got, we got we got audio, and yeah. we can just put a pretty picture on uh on it. You don't need to you just put the audio. Oh, of the that's podcast true. Up. Yeah, of the podcast. Yeah, we really could do that actually, and arguably should um but all right thanks for listening everybody we'll catch you next week with some cyberpunk goodness <laughs> <laughs>